Hey, South Africa. Welcome to Farmers Inside Track Weekend. I'm your host, Dawn Numdu, the editor for audience and engagement at Food Form Zanzi. Now, the latest foot and mouth outbreak in KwaZulu-Natal has placed enormous strain on South Africa's livestock industry. We're now joined by Diawalt Olafir, Executive Officer of the South African Feedlot Association, to share the latest update. Diawalt, what is the current status of the foot and mouth disease outbreak in KwaZulu-Natal province and the rest of South Africa since the last report in early October 2021? There has been no significant change in the status of the foot and mouth disease outbreak in KwaZulu-Natal province since the previous report by the Department of Agriculture. The serological and clinical surveillance is still continuing and the total number of affected locations remain at 29, comprising of 27 dip tanks and two feedlots. Movement control measures, according to the Department of Agriculture, remain in place and on this reduced disease management area. Uh, The disease is, however, still present within this area. There also has been no change in the trade relations since the previous report. Most trade partners retained the agreements negotiated in 2019, following the loss of South Africa's FMD free zone status. How have the control measures implemented by the Agriculture, Land Reform and Rural Development Department helped reduce FMD? The Department of Agriculture indicated that the risk of spreading of the disease has been mitigated or minimized due to the surveillance that they have done. The only thing that has changed up until now is the fact that industry and the Department of Agriculture visited Mpumalanga to look at the situation. How do we treat the possibility of the spread of the disease close to the Kruger National Park border? We can only accept that the department is doing everything in its power to curtail the spread of the disease, as they mentioned in the last report submitted to us. How many feedlots remain under quarantine and why is this the case? As mentioned previously, there are two feedlots that are still under quarantine. Um, One of the feedlots is a member of the South African Feedlot Association and we are assisting him in negotiating with government to lift the quarantine since the extent of the FMD found in his feedlot was only serological and not clinical. The tests only indicated that there were serological positives, but there were never an active virus circulating within any of the feedlots that tested positive. What practices can farmers, dip tank associations and feedlots implement to avoid further spread of the disease? Well, farmers and feedlots and dip tank associations need to be very vigilant with regards to the cattle that they see on a daily basis. It is important to do your own surveillance as well and at the hint of a positive animal, call your state veterinary to to address the issue. But at the end of the day, do not mix cattle that comes from an unknown source or unknown owners and ensure that your cattle are traceable so that if something happens, the authorities and the industry can immediately understand where that cattle comes from. And then finally, what trade implication will a prolonged FMD outbreak have on the South African beef industry? Although the current outbreak of FMD is very, very bad, 
As previously mentioned, we have negotiated with our trade partners in 2019 already certain protocols with regards to how do we deal with the export of meat and those protocols remain in place until now. So the fact that we're dealing with the FMD outbreak on the one hand is very serious and we need to expedite the finalization or the closing off of the outbreak. But the flip side of the coin is also true that we've got clean areas, for example, feedlots where we are sure that these animals are not affected and that we can give comfort to our trade partners with regards to the health of the animals within the feedlots. Thanks for joining us, Diewald Olafir, Executive Officer of the South African Feedlot Association. Next, we're back with Farms, Food and Future, powered by Andamat Madumbi. Our focus and part two of our conversation with the business innovation lead at Andamat Madumbi, Dr. Brendan Newman, on plant health and vitality. Great having you with us again, Dr. Newman. Now, when we last spoke, you highlighted why plant health and vitality is so crucial for new farmers to achieve ultimate success of their crops, as well as tips on building stress tolerance to improve resilience. Is there a sort of best practice or products that can be used that is vital for any farmer? And if there is, could you list some of the common pests and also the methods that can be used to deal with them? Sure, there's so many different pests and diseases that it really depend on the crop that you're producing. You can sort of break them down, I suppose, into fairly broad categories. So if you look at, you know, caterpillar pests or worms, your different Lepidoptera pests, bollworm is a good example probably, but there's a number of others. Bollworm is probably one that occurs on the widest range of crops. There's so many different options available for controlling it. I think the critical thing is not just looking at one solution. We talk a lot about integrated pest management. So it's involving different solutions for one problem. So you want to tackle that particular pest from a number of different stages in its life cycle. Is it so with a caterpillar you've got, you know, the moth, you've got the eggs that are laid, you've got the caterpillar itself, the larva, and all of those can be controlled with different solutions. So as an example, we use viruses. So we have a virus that controls bollworm. But it'll only work against the larva stage. So the larva has to ingest the virus and then it gets sick from it and ultimately dies. And that virus is completely safe. It only affects bollworm. It won't have any effect even on other fairly closely related caterpillar species. And it's 100% safe on bees and earthworms and all, all the rest of it as well. There are your traditional chemical options available for controlling bollworm as well. And those, you know, some of them will work against the egg stage. Some will work against the larvae. Some can even work against the moths. There's practices like mass trapping, where you can attract the moths with pheromones or even with light traps and then kill the moths once they come into the trap. You know, they get drowned or whatever other means. There's other things like beneficial bacteria. So we also have things like the Bt, the Bacillus thuringiensis bacteria, fairly well known as a biocontrol agent, which only controls caterpillar pests. With bollworm, we generally find it only works against fairly small bollworm. If they get too big, it doesn't work too well anymore. But if you catch it early enough, it works very well. And against other caterpillars, you know, it can work up to a larger stage. So there's chemical options, there's viruses, there's bacteria. We also use fungi. So we have a fungus called Bavaria, which grows on insects, basically. And the nice thing with that is it grows on all life stages. So it can control the moth, the eggs, the larvae. If you get the, the spores of that fungus in contact with it, it can control it. Other sort of standout pests are probably what we would refer to as the sucking insect sort of group, which is all your aphids, your mites, your thrips, mealybugs. They all fall into that kind of group. 
again, you've got your chemical options. There's no real viruses on those things, but we do have the fungi, the Bavaria, again, works very well on those, again, on all our stages. There's different plant extracts, stuff like neem extract, which is very good. And then also even predatory insects. So we get there's certain insects that basically hunt and prey on, on those pests. And if we can introduce them or find a way of boosting their populations, then they can do a really good job of hunting down and killing the best insects and eliminating them. So that's really probably some two good examples on the insect side. On the disease side, there's you know various fungal pathogens and bacterial pathogens. I think probably two of the most widespread are, are things like powdery mildew and botrytis. And again, there's a whole lot of different options from chemical options through to we have various fungi that work against things like powdery mildew and botrytis. There's bacteria, bacillus-based bacteria. So we have a product called Amila X or double nickel, sold under two brand names, which works very well at suppressing powdery mildew and botrytis. And then even certain minerals, almost like food-grade ingredients, so stuff like potassium bicarbonate is well known for suppressing, almost like baking soda, for suppressing powdery mildew and, and botrytis as well. So there's so many different options, and I think it, it really comes down to, like I said in the beginning, not focusing on one or the other. It's about an integrated program. You know, we don't believe, although we are primarily a biological company, we don't believe that chemicals are bad. There's very good chemistry out there, and by integrating good chemistry with good biological solutions and, and even the minerals that what we call bio-rational solutions, you can get very good control of almost any of these pests or diseases while still maintaining a safe crop you know, for people to eat at the end of the day. Thank you so much for the overview, Dr. Newman. And then in closing, what's your top tip for new farmers and commercial producers to ensure they produce healthy plants or crops consistently? Planning is very important. You know, you need to know the crop that you're producing and plan ahead so that you're not being reactive. I think too many times in agriculture, we get ourselves into problem situations by being reactive. You know, we wait until we see a pest or disease before we start doing anything about it. And then we're trying to spray a really highly effective product that can wipe it out as quickly as possible. So rather it comes to planning and working preventatively, give the plants the best environment possible, the best nutrition possible, build a, a resilient plant, build populations of beneficial insects and beneficial microorganisms, which can help you know, outcompete those pathogens. And like I said previously, you know, integrate all these different sort of best solutions available to make sure that you produce a healthy crop at the end of the day without having to sort of fight fires and stick plasters over you know, short-term problems all the time. Thanks for joining us, Business Innovation Lead at Andamat Medumbi, Dr. Brendan Newman. For more about this topic, visit www.foodformzanzi.co.za for an in-depth article that promises to change the way you think about farming. That brings us to the end of this week's episode. Remember, if you love this podcast, please rate it and share it with your friends, family members, and of course, don't forget your fellow farmers. From me, Dawn Numdu, and our producer, Megan van der Vent, and the rest of the Food from Zanzi team, have a fabulous weekend. Life in South Africa can be a lot. I mean, scroll through Twitter for a minute and tell me I'm wrong. Thank God for South Africans though, right? We're inspiring and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food Form Zanzi so much. They're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. Go to foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story. 
You've been listening to the Farmers Inside Track podcast, supported by Food Form Zansi. For more information, find us on www.farmersinsidetrack.co.za.